Welcome to Sociology, the Sociological Imagination. You will see on the podcast lecture page two images. One has a couple of people in an elevator, and the other is of a little girl picking her sweet little nose. Keep those images in mind, as we will come back to them shortly. If you want to understand sociology, why don't we start with you? Why are you taking this class? Why are you listening to me? Maybe you have heard of sociology and want to learn more about it. Maybe one of your friends suggested you take this class. Maybe it was your academic advisor. Can't you just read a book about sociology? Watch some YouTube videos? Assuming you are paying tuition for the class, why are you doing so? Now let's think of the class experience. You do all the reading, do your homework, and participate in class discussion. Why? Then, we as teachers assign you a grade. Why don't you give yourself a grade? What grade would you give yourself? The grade leads you to a diploma. What do you need a diploma for? Why the hell are we in school? Do we really need this education? Who decided this? These questions and many more are what we take for granted every single day. Sociology is a study of human society. We need to remember we are social beings. Even those who claim to be introverted, antisocial, etc., myself included. As humans, we cannot survive alone. And I know some of you are already thinking, um, professor, I do survive on my own. I do my own thing. I am self-made. I had no help from anyone. I get that. And we will dive deeper into that during the semester. But let's just follow along with my story for a bit. When you are born, someone needs to take care of you. If not, you will die. You aren't born and then headed straight to the office. We are not sea turtles. We depend on our parents to feed us, bathe us, keep us warm, and soothe us. We are constantly learning from those who are around us, good and bad things. So as sociologists, we study how groups in society function, ranging from small interactions like reading to your child every evening to understanding how the country of Sweden functions. And let me tell you, we are very predictable animals. Thinking like a sociologist means applying analytical tools to something you have always done without much conscious thought, like taking this or any other class. What has society told you? Go to college and you will get a good, good job? Is this true? It requires you to consider your assumptions about society and question what you have taken for granted in order to better understand the world around you. Essentially, making the familiar strange. This is where C. Wright Mills comes along with the concept sociological imagination. Remember this concept. We will talk about it all semester long. C. Wright Mills argued that in effort to think critically about the social world around us, we need to use our sociological imagination. The ability to see the connections between our personal experiences and the larger forces of history. This is what we are doing when we question why we are taking this class. He goes on to say, The idea that the individual can understand his own experiences and gauge his own fate only by becoming aware of those of all individuals in his circumstances 
In many ways, it is a terrible lesson. In many ways, a magnificent one. The terrible part of the lesson is to make our own lives ordinary. That is, to see our intensely personal private experiences of life as typical of the period and place we live in. This can also serve as a source of comfort. However, helping us realize we are not alone in our experiences, whether they involve our alienation from the increasing doggy dog capitalism of modern America, the weird combination of intimacy and dissociation that we experience on the internet, i.e. social media, or the ways nationality and geography affects our life choices. The sociological imagination allows us to step out of our comfort zone, which I call a veil, that we have taken for granted and really look at, our, look at where we stand in society. The world and our history is constantly changing, meaning our history and biography are connected. What is your part? In the article, The Promise, Mills offered his readers a way to stop and take stock of their lives in all the light of all that had happened in the previous decade. Of course, we almost always feel that social change is fairly rapid and continually getting ahead of us. Think of the 1960s and even today. With the rise of social media, instant information, global and domestic terror threats, COVID, etc. In retrospect, we consider the 1950s, the decade when Mills wrote his work, to be a relatively placid time in the United States. However, not without its issues, but a bit calmer. However, Mills believed the profound sense of alienation experienced by many during the post-war period of World War II was a result of the change that had immediately preceded. Another way to look at sociological imagination is what do we take as natural, which isn't? Let's circle back to the two images. The people in the elevator and the little girl picking her nose. Elevator etiquette. In the image, you see there are about six people in there, all with their backs against the wall. Pictures taken during COVID. No one is looking at each other. Some are on their phones. And more than likely, they will be completely silent during the ride up or down. Why do we do this? Is there a guide to how to ride an elevator? Actually, yes, I just Googled it. And I put it in our podcast lecture page. And out pops seven rules for elevator etiquette. Really? Why are we so awkward? Where do these rules come from? As you can see, I highlighted two of the etiquette rules. Always face the elevator doors and minimal eye contact is standard. Now, suppose someone comes in the elevator and decides to stand with their back against the elevator doors and then stare at everyone. Are they breaking a social norm? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Are we going to tell them to face the elevator doors because they are giving us the creepy vibes? Personally, I would just look at my phone and I would assume most would just ignore the person and hope to God that your floor comes up soon. And after that, we do nothing. We just go on with our day. We are funny creatures. Now the little girl. Why do we think picking our noses is disgusting? Especially in public. Now in all seriousness, we all clean our noses. We blow our noses into tissues while showering, washing our face, 
we blow air out of our noses when swimming. And we sometimes have that awkward moment when we might have a booger on our cheek and no one is saying anything. We all do it. What is it about the picking the nose that is the issue? Who told us that we could not do that? Our parents, our grandparents, teachers? Are there rules for picking your nose? Why are we shamed when we do it? As with the elevator, we have created rules to fit standards of social situations where it is okay to pick your nose. But we usually tell children to not do that because it's disgusting. I mean, it really is. Next, I would like you to ponder the questions Mills asks us to consider regarding our understanding of society. I'm going to paraphrase them here but they are located in the article as well as the lecture and podcast lecture page. One, what is the structure of this particular society as a whole? What are its essential components and how are they related to one another? Two, where does this society stand in human history? What are the mechanisms by which it is changing? And this period, what are its essential features? How does it differ from other periods? What are its characteristic ways of history making? Three, what varieties of men and women now prevail in this society and in this period? And what varieties are coming to prevail? In what ways are they selected and formed, liberated and repressed, made sensitive and blunted? What kinds of human nature are revealed in the conduct and character we observe in this society in this period? And what is the meaning for human nature of each and every feature of the society we are examining? This is followed by two key definitions by Mills. Troubles. Troubles occur within the character of the individual and within the range of his or her immediate relations with others. They have to do with oneself and with those limited areas of social life of which one is directly and personally aware. A trouble is a private matter. Values cherished by an individual are felt by her to be threatened. Issues have to do with matters that transcend these local environments of the individual and the range of her inner life. They have to do with the organization of institutions of a historical society as a whole, with the ways in which various social settings overlap and interpenetrate to form the larger structures of social and historical life. An issue is a public matter. Some value cherished by public is felt to be threatened. Often there is a debate about what the value really is and about what it is that it really threatens. And that is really important, keep that in mind. This debate is often without focus, if only because it is the very nature of an issue, unlike even widespread trouble, that it cannot very well be defined in terms of the immediate and everyday environments of ordinary people. An issue, in fact, often involves a crisis in institutional arrangements. One from Mill's article, when in a city of 100,000, only one is unemployed, that is his personal trouble. We look at their personal characteristics. However, when in a nation of 50 million employees, 15 million are unemployed, that is an issue. Something is wrong with the social institutions. Another example we can think of is all the interesting things that have occurred because of COVID. As of right now, there is a labor shortage. An op-ed by Art Bilger 
I'm hoping I'm saying his last name right, highlights some key points. I have the article up too, so you can review. The highlights from his article is, more than 9.5 million Americans were unemployed and looking for work in June, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Two, at the same time, job openings in the country hit 9.2 million, a new record high. Job openings, okay? Three, pandemic health concerns, childcare, and much debated government unemployment benefits are issues, but so is an existing labor skills gap that COVID made worse. Some employers suggest that many job seekers do not want to work because they're making too much money on unemployment which can be debated. Economists are split whether this is actually a driving reason for the lack of labor, which leads us back to the last part of the issue's definition. This debate is often without focus, if only because it is the very nature of an issue, unlike even widespread trouble that it cannot very well be defined in terms of the immediate and everyday environment of ordinary people. Other factors that are mentioned are the health concerns of COVID and not having access to affordable health care. And one that has been growing exponentially is the mismatch between skills workers have to those what employers want, skills, technical, digital, etc., which were expected to be the norm in 10 to 20 years, are actually skills needed yesterday. Then came the realization that not everyone has access to learning these skills that are necessary to fill up jobs that are losing people. Some examples would be nurses, truck drivers, welders, IT. In the article, I like what many states have begun to do. Virginia's Newport News Shipping is one of the employers benefiting from the new Community College Workforce Cooperative. The Workforce Development Initiative brought together three community colleges in the Hampton Roads region and focused on training welders and manufacturers and is creating a pipeline of highly skilled talent to the state's largest industrial employer, which is really important because there could be reasons why certain skills might have not been marketed effectively. And now we are realizing that we do need to do that. And these are high-skilled labor, which doesn't always require a college degree. In Tennessee, Memphis-based railroad equipment maker Atlantic Track worked with the local high school district to solve its labor shortage attributed to older workers retiring. The company could find skilled workers. Again, we need to remember to have a job or a career Not every job requires you to have a college degree. Our understanding of labor has changed dramatically in the past 18 months. But not only has labor changed, but with COVID, it hit every single one of our core institutions. Look around, people. We live in a different world than 2018. To close this audio lecture, I want to remind you that neither the life of an individual nor the history of a society can be understood without understanding both and the history that now affects every individual is world history. The core of the sociological imagination, students. All right, thanks for listening, and I will see you on the next one.